Good town, good to see you guys. Glad to be with you guys this morning, particularly any of you guys who are new visiting or maybe you're coming back after our Easter service. We had a wonderful celebration for Easter. It's fun to see a few faces that I know joined us from that last time, so we especially welcome you and even some of you guys maybe who invited friends uh, this very first week. So we're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Justin Christopher. I'm one of the pastors here. So you maybe if you're new, you heard from Jake last week. I'm also one of the pastors here. My name's Justin. Uh, we want to give a special welcome to two people before we get started, though. We actually have a first-time visitor, and it's uh, Ellison Townsend. Can you guys stand up? Looks like sleeping. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so that's awesome. We like have a baby being born like literally every single month. One was even born yesterday, so I won't tell you who in case they want to keep it a secret. But another special announcement, um, I mean like tell you personally later. Um, Another really special person we want to welcome is, is Esme, back in the back. You, may, you guys may not know uh, Chris and Ashley, but their baby, uh, just a few months old, has had a heart surgery this last week, and now just six days later, they were taken out of the hospital. She's recovering well, so let's give God a hand for that. Yeah. We're going to need new children's ministry people, so everyone start to get ready to volunteer. It's going to be a lot busier next year, for sure. Uh, We're going to continue and actually finish our our thing that we've been doing here called the Bible Story. So for the last three weeks, and this is now the fourth week, we've been walking through four main themes in the Bible. So it's been real fun to do here on Sundays, but what's been equally exciting, and most of you know this, but maybe not everybody, is that we've been having the Bible Story discussion groups in many of our homes, many of our workplaces, and many of the places where you students are studying throughout the course of this last month as well. And so we estimate that about 40 to 50 of our friends, neighbors, and coworkers have actually gathered in our homes or gathered on campus to talk about these same subjects together. Isn't that neat? Like what we want to do is just facilitate honest conversations with our friends and talk about spiritual things, things that maybe sometimes we're afraid to talk about, but if we can create some safe environments to talk about these main themes of the Bible, what a, what a joy is that? Not to coerce anyone or try to make anyone believe, but just to listen and understand each other. And hear this great story, what we as Christians believe is the most redeeming and awesome story and a true story of the history of the world. And today we're going to wrap it up. But before we do, I thought I'd kind of summarize it and give you like an illustration that will maybe help summarize where we've been so far very, very briefly. So I think we might have this illustration come up here. We start with the first story, which we call creation, which was God's perfect design, what God intended from all along. We learned from that lesson when we, when we talked a few weeks ago that God was eternally existent in relationship, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, eternally existent in perfect relationship with one another. But God chose to create the world and to create human beings in His own image, primarily out of relationship with them, of wanting to share in His life and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father, and share that with humanity. But we learned about man in that first lesson of creation, was that man was created in the image of God. And the image of God meant that we, particularly as human beings, can have a relationship with God. And it also meant that we were also given the task of, in His image, re-imaging or representing Him to the rest of the world, that God gave us authority to show the rest of the world what God was like. That was the creation story. Next, we had the fall story, which was the sad part of the story, where we learned about a third character in the story, not God, not man, but our enemy, an enemy who comes to deceive us and to tempt us. And primarily, his temptation is a temptation that God is not good that you can't trust Him. And so you need to step in and try to be God yourselves and manage your own life and your own world. And we learned how Adam and Eve fell to that temptation. They didn't trust God's heart. And so they stepped into a world and brought sin 
into the world, which ruined their relationship with God and their relationship with each other. And then throughout history, we've all continued to do that, that the essence of sin is us saying we want to make ourselves out to be God because we don't trust Him. And we want to make ourselves above other people because we want to look out for ourselves more than others. And the relationships that we have with God and with man have been broken since that time, and so the world is broken. And then last week, the good news of Easter Sunday, we learned that just as much as man had said, I'm going to be God and put themselves above God, that God in the person of Jesus did the exact opposite. He said, I'm going to put man above me, and I'm going to take their place and become a man. And that man was Jesus, and he lived his life on earth, and he died to pay the penalty for our sins, and he rose from the dead. And as he rose from the dead, he conquered death and all the penalty of sin. And we learned that we, in our response, man's response, if we would just turn and believe, that's how we can be forgiven for our sins and reconcile with God. There's nothing we can do on our own to get there, but simply turn to God and put our faith in Jesus. and Believe in his resurrection, that power comes in us, and we're reconciled with God, and we can begin to be reconciled with each other. Which brings us to this last stage of recreation. If you look at the illustration, it's in this next movement of grow and go, that now we can grow in our relationship with God. We can grow again to be like God, which I'll describe, and then we get to go into the broken world with the same good news. So if we go back to the other slide of just the four things, I don't know if you've been confused by this, but we've got creation, fall, redemption, and that looks like recreation, right? Like, there's no hyphen. So I was thinking, like, maybe this whole time everyone's thought, are we going like, to play kickball, and, and is this the end? Like, it's dodgeball and kickball forever, and that's the end of the story? Well, let's put the hyphen in there, and we're going to call it recreation, all right? So recreation, we're going to talk about three things today. One, God's going to recreate us. We're going to call it rebirth. Two, uh, God's going to recommission us. He's going to give us a new commission. And then finally, He's going to bring the final recreation of all of heaven and all of earth. And so we'll look at those three storylines as we wrap up our series. Uh, Join me in prayer first. God, we know that uh, you use the, the proclamation, the reading, even the contemplation of your word to change hearts. And so we ask that you would be active among us today and speak to each individual person here. I ask, Lord, that my words would be honoring and true uh, to your word and to what's true. As we wrap up this time, remind us of the glory that's to come and the power that you've given us even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start with rebirth. Rebirth. So, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we grow in our relationship with God, and we grow to be like God. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we grow in our relationship with God, and we grow to be like God. Now, don't hear me say the wrong thing here. It's not saying that we actually become gods. That would be other religions. There are religions that say you actually start to become gods. We're not becoming God, but we become like Him. And as we read these passages, I want you to think through how the resurrection and us being restored to the image of God from Genesis 1 and how He created us are weaving together what God's doing in the story of recreation. So it starts with rebirth personally. In Romans 6, it says this, We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. And if we died with him, Christ, we believe we will also live with him. 
very great to ask on this Sunday after Resurrection Sunday, what does the resurrection mean for us? It means that we can live a new life. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is now dwelling inside of us who've put faith in Him, and our life begins to change. God starts to craft us more and more and more into His image so that we can display His likeness to the rest of the world. I was kind of uh, reminded of a story of this. Last night, Brenda was telling me, I won't tell the person so, so that the person's not outed, but last week when Jake was speaking, he, he said something similar to this, that when we receive the gospel, our lives begin to change and people begin to notice. And there's one person who's here with us this morning that had her sisters and her mom there. And they said that they started to nudge her right away like, that's you. In other words, they were saying, yeah, we've, we've seen this change in you. And that's the way it should be for all of us. That when we receive the gospel, we start to follow Christ. Our life gets filled with resurrection power and our lives change. It should change our character. We should grow in kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. It should change our relationships, that we learn to love one another in a new way, and we certainly learn to forgive one another in a new, in a new way. We should grow in holiness, the choices that we make, the things that we say yes to, and the way that we have power now to deny temptations and things that once had hold of us, over us. We should change our priorities, the things we do with our time, the ways that we spend our money. All of this should begin to change as Christ's life begins to be birthed in us. So the question is how? How does this really happen? It happens by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. I love when this guy named Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3, and he's asking Jesus some questions. He's curious about how one can get eternal life. And so Jesus says to him, the way you get eternal life is you have to be born again. He's a little confused, and he says, well, like, how can I be born again? Do I have to like, enter my mom's womb again? He says, no, there's, there's a kind of fleshly birth, but there's a spiritual birth, and the spiritual birth is only brought about by the Spirit of God. You need the Spirit of God to awaken your heart to believe. You need the Spirit of God, he would tell his disciples, to continue to abide and grow and bear fruit. This only happens by the Spirit. Theologically speaking, this is a term called regeneration. It's the idea that when we get indwelt with the Holy Spirit, then we're regenerated, that God's life starts to live in us. And this regeneration changes our life, our character, our priorities, everything about us changes. But it doesn't happen overnight. I was struggling to try to think about an analogy, like what's, what's something like in the earth or in our world that we can like better understand this? And so this week I started studying this, this idea of grafting. Have you ever heard about how you can graft plants together? So like if you're having an orchard and you've got like fruit producing plants, often a, a group of them or one or two of them will actually start to die and they'll start to not produce as much. And one of the ways that you actually bring life back into it, it's pretty wild, you, you just cut it completely off, kind of at its branches. You leave a couple big branches just left and all the other stuff you take away. And then you go over and you get a little limb from one of the branches that's producing grapefruit. It can even be a different type of fruit. So I was watching this guy on YouTube and he was taking this uh, certain type of nectarine and turning this tree into a different type of nectarine tree because he would take these little branches called scions and in the little core here, you would just stick little scions in. And as they just stick, it just makes no sense that there's this little stump, but here's these four little twigs coming out of it, and they seal it by taping this special tape around it, and they seal it by putting the stuff that doesn't let any more moisture come into it. And months and months later, this certain kind of nectarine tree starts producing a completely different fruit, and it comes back to life again. And I look at that and say that's exactly what's this idea of regeneration, that what God does is He grafts into us the Holy Spirit. First, what he has to do often is cut back a lot of the junk in our lives, make us aware of our need for him, but then he takes the Spirit and he puts it inside us, 
And the Bible even uses this word. He seals us. He tapes it around. He seals it all up. There's nothing that can get into it. And all of a sudden, we become a different person, producing completely different fruit in our life. I want you to think about that because that's what happens when we get rebirthed, when we get regenerated. Let's look to Colossians 3, where Paul maybe describes a little bit about actually how this happens. In Colossians 3, he says, since then, you've been raised with Christ, so you've already been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. I want you to think about that. He's saying you've already been raised with Christ. You're already seated with Him in the heavenly realm. So he says, set your heart on it. He says, set your mind on it. Believe that it's true, and in believing what God's already doing within you, that's how the fruit is going to be produced. If you'll bear with me for a second, I want to give us some time to do just that, to set our hearts on what's really true spiritually of us, to set our minds on the resurrected Christ and the resurrected power that's within us. So if you're willing, if you could close your eyes, I want to give you a moment just to think about that with your heart and with your mind. Think about how God has forgiven all of your sins. He remembers them no more. Think about that God raised Christ from the dead. And He's given you power through the Holy Spirit to live a new life. Think about what this passage says. Your life is now hidden with Christ on high. Think finally for a few seconds that one day you will be made perfectly like Him. Thanks. And when you dwell on those things and you start to believe that they're true, you can do what then Paul next tells them to do in Colossians. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on, read this, the new self. This new self that's being renewed in the knowledge in the image of the Creator. He's telling them, put off all these former ways of behaving, all the things that you used to be like. Put it all off because you are new. You've been being, you're being made into the image of the Creator. This is the wonderful fourth part of this story that this rebirth is happening in you and this original call in Genesis 1 to, to bear the image of God. We can bear it again because of the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit inside of us. In verse 12, he goes on to say, Therefore, as God's chosen holy people, dearly love, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with one another and forgive each other, just as Christ has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is what happens when we've been rebirthed that we can start to put off all these former ways and we can start to live out all these new ways because of the power of the Spirit that's within us. 
we've looked at it and we said that the reason that we're able to do it is because we reflect on what Christ has done for us. What He has done for us now, like it said, forgive as you have been forgiven. We reflect on the cross. We remember what He's done for us, enabling us then to forgive others. We remember that God demonstrated His love toward us in this, that He would die for us, which enabled us to love others. In the very position where we were in, where we were constantly putting ourselves above God and putting ourselves above others, now Paul can tell people, hey, start to put God above yourselves and start to put God above other, uh, others above yourself, and you've been given the power to do so. One more scripture, one of my favorites on this is 2 Corinthians 3. It says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. Now, what that part meant was if you were reading earlier in the context, Paul was using this term of a veil, that a veil is what kind of blinds our eyes so we cannot see the gospel and respond to it. And so he's saying there's this veil, but when anyone turns, remember the illustration, turn and believe. When you turn and believe, that veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That when God's spirit is at work in your life, it's developing freedom. It's changing you from the inside out. And we all, who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. Isn't that awesome? It's the recuration of us as individuals that we now get to be the image bearers of Christ more and more and more. I really like that more and more part, that ever-increasing glory, because what at least it brings comfort to me is we're all at different places. (laughs) We all start at different places. We all have our own particular hang-ups and hurts and habits and things that hold us back from this transformation. But ongoing, we reflect it more and more and more. And it's not that we're doing it to try to earn favor back with God. This is God's spirit as we reside and abide, as Jesus would say in him. He produces this fruit in us, and our lives are changed. If you want to put it in one word, you could use the word here for grow. So what does recreation look like? It means that we can grow, that we can grow in our relationship with God. As we get closer and closer to him, he starts to produce fruit in us that we begin to look more and more like him. The recreation starts with us. Secondly, there's a recommission. There's a new commission that God gives us, and you see this in Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, the apostles whom the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them for over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Again, it all starts right here with the resurrection, right? Here, here's Jesus with his, with his followers. He's spending 40 days, and he's given them many convincing proofs. We learned last week um, in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to more than 500 people over, at this time. In the time when these books were written, these 500 people were still alive. It's like, go ask them. We were there. We walked with them. We were with them during these 40 days. It all starts with the resurrection power. And then Jesus says this to them. On one occasion, he was with them. He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, for which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore your kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times and dates that the father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And as he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him 
from their sight. This is very similar to some of Jesus' last conversations that he had before he died on the, on the cross. He was telling them about this coming Holy Spirit. He would even say something so bold as to say, it's good that I would be away from you. It's good that I would leave you because if I don't go, the Father will not send his Holy Spirit. And Jesus is promising now the Spirit, not just to produce recreation in us, but now to reuse us in the world. Go back to Genesis 1. Remember our very first story. It was that God said, I'm going to give you, make you in my image, and part of that means that you're going to be my representatives. You're to rule the earth, and you're to rule it in God's way. You're to love the earth and love people and be in perfect relationship. Be my representatives. Show everyone what I'm like. This is the recommission of the recreation. In a very real way, if you think about it, Acts 1 is very similar to Genesis 1, right? God's creating a new people. In Genesis 1, God breathes His Spirit, it says, and it creates life in man, and man comes to life, and He gives them the commission to represent Him in the earth. He's doing the same thing here. It's a recreation by recommission. I'm going to breathe my life into you when this Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, and what's the purpose of the Spirit? In this case, the purpose of the Spirit is to give you the power to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the, in the ends of the earth. If you've been around uh, this church long, you know one of the things that we say in, in one of our mission statements is that we want to see a day when every man, woman, and child in Austin hears the gospel from someone who loves them. This is a major reason why we take that as our mission. Because Jesus was telling them, look, I'm going to fill you with your spirit for the purpose of going to one city, then the next city, then the next city, and we want everyone to hear this good news. And so when we talk about in this church that we want to see a day when every man, woman, child, we, we mean that. Another term you might have heard that we, we talk about in this church is the idea of people groups. We've encouraged everyone who's in this church to adopt a people group. And really all that means is to say, where's your Jerusalem? Like that's where he told them to start, right? So we're saying, where should you start? as one who's been filled with the Spirit that gets to represent God to wherever you are in Austin, where is that? Is it your workplace? Is it your neighborhood? Is it your classmates? This is what we believe, that as we get recreated, God wants us then to bear His image in all the places that He has us. And so we've encouraged everyone to see themselves in that way, to take on this identity that Jesus gave them as witnesses. That's why I love that we're doing something like this Bible story We've got so many friends from our, maybe, maybe some of you are even here that have joined some of our Bible stories group and you're investigating your faith with us. We do these Bible story things because we, we believe that Jesus has remade us and He's called us to represent Him. Now, don't hear that wrong. That doesn't mean that we're going to try to convert everyone and, and coerce everyone into believing what we believe or doing what we do. There's no coercion. There's no manipulation. It's just that we've been so compelled by the love of God that we want to tell other people about it and let them make their own decisions about what they believe about it. That's why we're doing these groups. That's why we've adopted people groups, because God's using us to go re-image Him to the rest of the world, particularly the places where He already has us. There's another passage I find completely, uh, uh, really encouraging in this regard is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll do it somewhat briefly because we read it not too many weeks ago. But in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that He died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and was raised again. Like, like this is our motive, guys. Like, it, it's God's love that makes us want to go tell other people about His love. Again, if you hear it most every single week when we do our, our welcome up here, one of other statements is that we say that at Midtown, we're a community, a family that's loved and served by God. 
That's where it starts. We've been loved and served by God, so now we want, now we're compelled to go love and serve each other and Austin with God. That comes directly from this passage, that we really believe this is true, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, that His power is in us and His Spirit has given us authority to go and talk to others about our faith. He goes on to say, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly view. This completely changes our view of the world and how we see people. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we'll do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Again, there's the rebirth. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself and through Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as O God, we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So much there, but I just want to point out at least two things, that we've been given both the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. I think those are distinct things, and the way that we actually use these words in our church is we talk about demonstrating the gospel and declaring the gospel that there's a ministry of reconciliation, that this is life on life where you're ministering to other people and caring for them and you're loving them. And then there's also the declaration of the gospel or what we hear the the message of the gospel. With our words, we talk to other people about it. And we believe in doing both of these equally, that if we're talking to our people groups and we're we're loving the communities that God has us in, compelled by His love, one of the things that that we say we have to do is demonstrate the gospel. And so we've got to care for one another. We've got to host parties and have people over at our house. We've got to be the most hospitable people because that's bearing God's image. We've got to be the people that, that care for the kids of the neighbors that are sick, that are going back and forth to the hospital. We've got to be the ones that are willing to start a study group even though our classes are competitive and help the struggling students that are in our class. We're the ones that go into the cafeteria at the dorm and, and sit next to the person who seems lonely. We're demonstrating the gospel We're partnering with Refugee Services of Texas just to care for refugees. We have international students that are our friendship partners that we're we're spending time with because we want to be a hospitable people to these new people that come across the world to our campus. Like this is just all demonstration of the gospel. And then when there's opportunity, want to do the message of the gospel as well and declare the gospel. We're doing these Bible story groups to give an opportunity to, to have honest spiritual conversations with people. This is because... Filled with the Holy Spirit's power, God is now recommissioning us to the very first commission that we had in the first place, to go be my representatives in all the world. And we say, start where you are and represent Him. If you want to use this in a word, you would maybe use the word go. First we grow as the Spirit grows within us, but then we go as God calls us to different places. But there's a final recreation, and perhaps, well, not perhaps, most certainly the most glorious And that's the final, the recreation, where there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and God's going to start everything completely over, and we'll live life with Him. One of the best passages, the best, Revelation 21, John writes from a vision that he has that God has given him, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, prepared like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God is, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and he himself will be their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning, no crying or pain, for the order of things has passed away. He who's seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. There will be someday a brand new recreation of heaven and earth. Now, those who put faith in Christ and have already passed away, Scripture says that they are in the presence of God and heaven, but there's going to be something that's a new heaven and a new earth that God's going to recreate everything without sin, without death, with anything that would harm us. We don't get, kind of get some false pictures of what this recreation would look like. We, we picture like people in harps and singing songs all day long or something like that. I mean, I mean, I'm here to tell you that's not what it is. It's going to be a, an earth very much like this one, but void of any sin. We get glimpses of it, but God doesn't tell us exactly what it's going to be like, but He's going to recreate everything. The reason He probably doesn't give us a lot of examples of exactly what it's going to look like is because it doesn't matter. He tells us the most important thing, and it's so powerfully said right here. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be their God. That's what we want. That's what God wanted when He started it all, to be in relationship with us forever. This phrase, this phrase that you see there, that God will be their people, or that he will be, we will, God will be our God and we will be His people. It's repeated dozens of times throughout Scripture. I recently did just a whole study on it because I was fascinated by it, and I think it's beautiful. In almost every case, it's where God is talking about a future time when He's going to make things new. And every time God's kind of casting vision, mostly through the prophets, it's even in the New Covenant, if you know the New Covenant in Jeremiah 31, He's talking about how He wants things to be. And with all these cases, He's saying the perfect scenario, when there's absolute revival, when everything's perfect... You know what God really wants? I want to be their God, and I just want them to be my people. I want to dwell with them forever. We don't want a new heaven. We don't want a new earth if God's not there. That's what we're looking for. That's the ultimate creation that God's going to bring to us. It's the one we should sing about, and we are going to sing about. But we're not there yet, which is why we need a passage like Romans 8 that says, I consider... Our present sufferings not worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, he's saying, like, I know where we're headed. I know God's going to redeem everything, and ultimately I'm going to be perfectly made like Christ, but, but right now I don't see it. Right now in the world, we don't see it. And then it says creation itself. So picture this, like the earth is crying out, for creation itself waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it and hope that creation itself would be liberated from bondage to decay and brought to the glorious freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You get this? The earth itself wants to be made new. The earth itself is longing for the day when our redemption is complete because it wants its redemption complete. Elsewhere in Scripture, not here, it even talks about the angels in the spiritual realm looking upon this day, waiting for the day when the redemption of God's people would be final and all things would be made new. The whole earth is groaning. But not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, think back to grafting, God's starting to already re-image within us. We have these first fruits. We're growing in our relationship with them. But we long for it to be complete, don't we? We long for it to be complete. So we groan inwardly, eagerly, eagerly awaiting our adoption as sonship, 
for the redemption of our bodies. And in this hope, we're saved. This is our hope. But hope that's seen is not hope at all, right? So we keep hoping. But who hopes for what they already have? But we hope for what we don't have, and we wait patiently for it. So how do we wait patiently for it? How do we have the power to continue to wait and just get these first fruit glimpses of this recreation in us, but not the full recreation that we really want? It's again, it's the power of the Spirit. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God. And we know that God works all things for the good of those who've been called according to His purpose. For we know, for God foreknew, He also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. For those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. There will be glory. We will be made like Him. But now we groan and we long for it. That's why we have to put words to songs, because we have to sing about it. We can't, we can't put it exactly right what we want. We've got some first fruits because we see the regeneration taking place in us. We see some first fruits because we're out in the world and we're telling others about Him, and we're seeing new life among them. But ultimately, we're longing for the recreation of everything. That's why maybe one of my favorite scriptures is Philippians 3. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so it'll be like His glorious body. That's the day we're hoping for. That's the day we're groaning for. We want to be like Him. And He's already starting that recreation, and one day He'll complete it. That's why we have to put it to songs. I like particularly that, that it tends to be in a lot of the hymns, but even some more modern songs we get like these fourth verses or the last verse that really starts to point its way to the end, what we're really longing for, the presence of God, no sin, with God forever. So we sing in 10,000 reasons, and on that day when my, my breath is fading, my, what does it go? The end draws near, my time has come. Uh, still my soul will sing His praise unending, 10,000 years and then forevermore. Or like we sang of amazing grace, that when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing His praise than when He first begun. Or, or my favorite in uh, How Great There Are, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation, what joy shall fill my heart, then I'll bow in humble adoration and there proclaim how great you are. Like, that's what we want, guys. That's what we're longing for, and God's going to do it. Let's rejoice in the rebirth that we see in us and continue to grow to be more and more like His image. Let's be His representatives to go to the world and trust God to see that happen in other people's lives. And let's hope for the day and know with certainty that it's coming. My favorite place I go is John 14, and John would have known this well. That's why this image of heaven wouldn't have been very radical to John, because John was with Jesus on the day when Jesus was about to be crucified. And one of the things he said in John 14 was, do not fear. He says, believe in God and believe in me also. For in my Father's house, there's many rooms. And if I had not told you that I was going to prepare a place for you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and take you there. John knew Jesus' heart. He was certain that God was going to prepare a place for him. 
And later on that night, when he took communion, he actually told his disciples, like, when you guys take this communion, you're not going to taste it again until you take it in the kingdom of heaven. I don't think that Jesus meant like they'd never have communion because he told them to continue to do it in remembrance of him. But what he meant is in this type of fellowship, that there's going to be a day when we're going to have communion like this, but in the kingdom of heaven forever, and we're going to have fellowship like this perfectly. And so as we take communion today, I want you to think about that. Jesus said that. You're not going to taste this again until you taste it in the kingdom of heaven. Think about the certainty that God has given to those who put their faith in him for the forgiveness of their sins. Let's rejoice in that hope. When we take communion, we ask that it be for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be part of this church, but if you have put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we'd welcome you to come forward or back, kind of forming two lines. It works a little easier that way and circle back around uh, the outside to your seats. You can do it any time during worship. We're also doing something, uh, trying something new, uh, really for the first time this Sunday. And so we've got some people that are dedicated to be prayer uh, leaders in the back. So we've got Shelby and Jenny back here. I think we're going to have Justin and John are making their way back to this back corner. So if any time during this last worship, you would like them to pray over you, they would love just to pray a short prayer, hear your needs, and pray for you. Let's celebrate, and let's remember this kingdom that's coming. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your recreation to be made manifest in us. Thanks for the indwelling power of your Holy Spirit. Would you just regenerate our hearts? Thanks that you've grafted us, <laughs> grafted us in. Uh, make us new. Let us experience the change that we, that we need, that we can be more like you. And then do, God, send us out that we can represent you in the world, that we can be your image bearers to our friends and neighbors and coworkers, classmates. And we thank you that our salvation's sure, that one day we will be your people and you will be our God in such a personal way with no sin. Let us worship, Lord. Engage our hearts as we we sing and worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.